This morning is taken from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, this is a timely text. It's one chosen by our pastor for this morning, Pastor Jay, and it's timely because 1 Peter was written to a church that was enduring incredible suffering. And before I read this text, I'm just going to read the introduction in the English Standard Version. It says, The readers of the Apostle Peter's letter were confused and discouraged by the persecution they were encountering because of their faith. Peter exhorted them to stand strong, repeatedly reminding them of Christ's example, the riches of their inheritance in him, and the hope of Christ returning again to take them to heaven. Peter explained how Christians should respond when they suffer because of their beliefs. Called the Apostle of Hope, Peter's primary message is to trust the Lord, live obediently no matter what your circumstances, and keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate promise of deliverance, the coming of Christ. Suffering is to be expected as a believer, but it is temporary and yields great blessings for those who remain steadfast. Peter probably wrote this letter in the mid-60s A.D., well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our text for the exposition of God's Word this morning will be 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. But we'll read together the context. We'll read together from verses 1 through 9. And after that, we will pray together before the exposition of God's Word. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's come to the Lord who gave us these words. Let's come to him in prayer. Lord, we come to you as your children, and we come to you 
not because we are good, not because we are without sin, not because we have any merit or entitlement. We come, O Lord, because You have first loved us. We come because You are our Father. We come because You have adopted us as Your children. We come because You have chosen us before the foundation of the world. And nothing can shake and shatter that. We come to You, O Lord, because You have foreknown us. We come to You, O Lord, because You have given Your Spirit to us and You have set us apart and You have sanctified us. We come to You, O Lord, because Your Son died to make all of this possible. And as we consider these things, O Lord, we, we confess, even as Ted confessed earlier this morning, we confess not only who You are, but who we are. We confess to You, Lord, that we are sinners. We confess to You, O Lord, that all too easily and all too quickly we have resisted or rebelled against Your gospel plan for our lives. All too easily, Lord, we have succumbed to the temptations of our pride, our idolatry, and our sin. And in choosing them, we have so often, Lord, resisted Your Spirit, and we have resisted Your Son, and we have resisted Your Word. And we have failed so often, Lord, to walk in Your ways according to Your Word in a manner that is loving and pleasing to You. So, Lord, for these things, we just ask for Your forgiveness. And we rejoice, O Lord, that we have in Christ Your forgiveness. And that the forgiveness of the cross, which comes from the blood which Your Son shed, is a forgiveness that is great enough for all our sin. And that You alone, O Lord, are able to save us. And that this is something that You've done. And Lord, this day we rejoice in that. That nothing in this world, not COVID-19, not the upheaval in our country, not the upheaval in this world, no circumstance, O Lord, can take Your children from Your hand, those who You have purchased with the blood of Your Son. And so, Lord, we want to thank You for this. We want to praise You for this. And we want to come to You and ask, Father, would You help us by faith to know this and to live this? Would You give us the help we need to conquer, Lord, our flesh that wages war against the Spirit and so often pulls at us, especially when we're tired, especially when we are weary, especially when there has been sorrow and grievance in our hearts and lives, especially when perhaps even the people in our lives have not been the easiest, especially when the things that we see are just discouraging. And the flesh so often looks to the comforts of this world to find peace and restoration, but it's a peace and restoration, Lord, that only leads us away from you and closer to death. Lord, give us the faith that we need to put these things to death. And instead, by faith, as Peter calls us, to endure the testing and trials of this world, to allow them to sanctify us and to refine our faith more precious than gold. Would you enable us to set our hearts and minds on you, Lord Jesus, 
and on the grace that is to come at your revealing. Lord Jesus, we need your help for this. We're not strong enough and we're not able, but you, O Lord Jesus, are a high priest who gives us mercy and grace and abundance in our time of need, knowing the testing and temptation, having endured frailty on a human level, having endured pain and sorrow and rejection, and yet you were without sin. So we just thank you that you can sympathize with our weaknesses, Lord Jesus, and give us the help and the mercy and grace that we so desperately need. So as we consider the mercy and grace we so desperately need at this time, Lord, we lift up our nation and our leaders. We pray for their salvation, and we pray, Lord, for their repentance. We know that they are your servants who you've appointed for your purpose and your plan. It's not by accident that they are here. And so we know whether we approve or not of their decisions, whether we approve or not of their morals, Lord, we pray for these men, knowing that we are greater and were greater sinners than they, and yet you showed mercy to us and saved us. And so we pray for President Trump, and we pray, Lord, for his salvation and the gift of repentance in his life. And we pray, Lord, that you would give him a wisdom and discernment to bend his knee in fear to you, the sovereign Lord and creator of all things that one day he will answer to you for every word spoken and every decision made. And we pray that you'd give him a heart of fear to know you and a heart, Lord, that is softened to love you and to rule this nation in a way that is keeping with your word. We pray the same, Lord, for our governor, Governor Gavin Newsom. And we just pray that you would do a mighty work in his heart and give him the wisdom and discernment he needs to lead a people closer to you rather than further away. Lord, we pray this day as well for all our public health care workers throughout the nation. We pray, O oh Lord, specifically for Dr. Sarah Cody, who leads the public health department for Santa Clara County. But we pray, Lord, for every doctor, every nurse, every medical assistant, every person who works in the hospital in any way, shape, or form, from those who provide meals to the ones who take care of the parking. Lord, all of those whose lives are at risk for the sake of caring for others, we pray for their protection. And we pray even more so, Lord, for their salvation. And we pray that this time of difficulty and duress for them would be an opportunity for them to look to you as the only hope and only true perfection and only, new, and only protection, not only in this life, Lord, but the next life. And we thank you, Lord, for providing us with those believers and unbelievers alike who serve to protect as best they can, Lord, our nation and our people. Lord, we want to lift up to you this time, even more so, the church universal. We lift up to you, Lord, your saints who are serving abroad in places like China, in places like Italy, in places like Spain, Lord, in places like New York City or Michigan or Louisiana, all around the world, Lord, in our nation, in places that are incredibly dangerous at this present time. We pray for their protection. We pray for the boldness of the gospel, that it would continue to go out. We pray, Lord, that you would protect the holiness of your church, that during these difficult times, the leaders of the church and the members of the church could live lives that are above reproach, lives that exemplify not first and foremost a care for themselves, but a love, Lord Jesus, for you and a love 
for their brothers and sisters in Christ and a love for the world around them, Lord, that we might be good Samaritans who proclaim the word of God in both word and deed. And Lord, we just want to pray for our local church. We pray, O Lord, for the leaders that you would protect and care for their holiness that their hearts and the hearts of their families would just be set apart for you and you would protect them from the attacks of the evil one who is using this time and this season to bring, Lord, discouragement or despair or things to distract from the proclamation of the gospel. We pray in particular, Lord, for the members of this church. There are those among us, Lord, who are suffering physically or who are sick. We pray, Lord, as well for those who are dealing with financial difficulties, those among us who have been furloughed or who have received pay cuts. We pray, Lord, for those among us who are dealing with family issues, whether it's the care of their parents or those who are far away from them, those who they cannot reach, those, Lord, who they are in some way, shape, or form connected or responsible to but find difficulty in caring or being with them. But Lord, most of all, we pray for the holiness of our church, Lord. May we not lose sight that we belong to you and that we're set apart for you, that we've been redeemed by your blood, that we do not belong to the world. And would you enable us, whether people see us or whether we're home alone by ourselves, would we be reminded that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere watching over good and evil, that you have not abandoned us, But Lord Jesus, because you have risen from the grave, you are very much present in our hearts and our lives and that we are not alone. And I pray that this presence in our midst, Lord Jesus, of your spirit would be an encouragement to every member of this church, would be a source of strength and power to continue to persevere against temptation, to love you and to love their brothers and sisters. I pray it also will give us caution as a church and give us a genuine and true fear of the Lord because that is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And that is what points us, Lord Jesus, to our desperate, desperate need for one thing and one thing alone, the one thing that we already have, Lord Jesus, which is you. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for giving us yourself, for being present with us, for being our hope and our strength, for being our everything. And as we come to the exposition of your word, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts, Lord? Would you enable us to behold your glory through your word? Would you bring us to repentance in the areas that we need to repent of? Would you give us hope and encouragement in the areas that we are weak? But most of all, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given for us as a family to draw near to the one who is drawn near to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for bearing with me with that long prayer. Now you can pray for my sons, and you know what they endure on a regular basis. But um, it's at this time that we have the pleasure and joy of having our dear brother, Pastor Jay, who will come up and bring to us God's Word. Uh, Pastor Jay is no stranger to us at Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. He is a brother and he is a partner in the gospel, as are all the pastors of New Life. 
He's here this week in particular. I want to raise this with you and just ask you to continue to pray for the elders of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Our work in ministry, which is a joy, as always, has just exploded over the last several weeks. And behind the scenes, the amount of work that has come our way on multiple levels for the care of God's Word and His flock um, has been huge. And the challenge, of course, is we only have a certain amount of time. And so part of our conviction at Lighthouse Bible Church, our belief is it is ultimately the Word of God and it is Christ who saves. And we never want to compromise on that. And so in order to free us up, and me in particular, to take care of and handle some of the church and the admin and the shepherding priorities of the church, we ask Pastor Jay from New Life to come in this week to fill the pulpit, to bring the Word, so that the word that is brought to you is not compromised for the sake of pragmatism, but instead is brought in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. And we do so with a trustworthy servant. So, Pastor Jay, thank you for coming. And at this time, would you come and bring us the word? Good morning, Lighthouse. Uh, And I trust that you are doing well in the Lord uh, in the midst of this tumultuous times. I'm so grateful and I'm so reassured to even read in the scriptures this morning that His mercies are new to us every morning. It's never exhausted. It never runs out. His mercies are new and available to us each and every day. I bring to you greetings, of course, from the brothers and sisters over at New Life. Uh, During these chaotic times, as Pastor Mark prayed, it really is a joy to remember the church universal, the body of Christ, that Christ said nothing in this world, no pandemic will ever cause it harm, will never cause it to fail, and so we can take true reassurance in that. It is a real joy for me and a real privilege for me to bring you Uh, to the body of Christ, the only true source of hope and comfort that we have, that is Christ in the revealed Word. And so wherever you are this morning, I'm excited to bring God's Word for you this morning. Fear, anxiety, worry, and hopelessness, these are just a few of the emotions that have dominated many minds, especially this morning and this week, due to the effects of the coronavirus epidemic. Within this past four weeks alone, a record 22 million people, that is almost one in seven working adults here in the States, filed for unemployment. That is equal to all the jobs that have been created since the Great Recession of 2008. And just as it has at New Life, I'm sure the impact of this pandemic has been felt tremendously here at Lighthouse as Pastor Mark prayed. And so for some of you, There is this desperate fear bubbling up of wondering how you will make ends meet, of how you will provide for your family. There is an anxiety of how your life, your relationships, your career, your business, or your future as a whole will look like after all this is concluded. For others, there is a helpless despair Maybe knowing that your friend or relative is struggling with this disease and many others all alone in the hospital when you are not able to visit them or hear of any updates. For many that I know personally, staying at home for this extended period of time has revealed personal 
emotional, relational, marital issues that have long been hidden underneath the busyness of everyday life. And so this is a sad and difficult time for many. It's made all that much worse because so much of our future is uncertain. We know that a treatment or a vaccine is likely one day coming, but we have no idea when that will be. We know that all this will likely end one day, but we don't know when. And it's hard for us to wait. At the same time, these unprecedented and these difficult circumstances have bred one more new emotion in many of our hearts. Anticipation. People have begun to appreciate and anticipate so many things that they've always taken for granted. We now look forward to just being able to gather together as a church and fellowship with one another again. We look forward to just hanging out with our friends, shooting the breeze, being able to talk to them face to face. We look forward to eating our first big bowl of ramen after all this is over. Or just sitting again in a crowded in and out. We look forward to giving our parents a hug. Or to just watch them play again with their grandchildren. Being bottled up inside our houses has given birth to this great longing to be free. Not just physically, but under this heavy hand of fear and uncertainty. We long for a day when we can go out and be free again to enjoy the world and all these relationships that God has given us. What a relief. What a great day that will one day be. Now I want you to take all these emotions of fear and longing and imagine how much worse it is without Christ. What the world would have been like before Christ. The whole world, Scripture tells us, lies under bondage to sin. All of humankind was lost, was hopeless before the righteous judgment of a God they've rejected. There was nothing that anyone could say or do. There was no one good enough to win back the favor of God. And scripture tells us that the whole world, the whole humanity was groaning, was crying out. Who can save us from this body of death? But into that hopelessness, at the perfect appointed time, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the world. Jesus Christ was God himself, and yet he deigned to dwell among us. He lived a perfect life right here on earth, full of grace and truth in front of everyone's watching eyes. And he died a criminal's death on the cross willingly that he might pay the penalty of our sin. God was well pleased with his son. And in three days, Jesus rose again, alive, proving once and for all that he had conquered sin and death. We now have a hope. All that longing for a savior throughout the ages has been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
That was the message of Easter that we had just celebrated last week. And this Bible teaches that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose miraculously from the dead. And ever since that time, Christians celebrate a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Easter is meant to be the most joyous day of the calendar for Christians all around the world. And so, brothers and sisters, as you remember the message of Easter, as you soak in the hope that we ought to have in a risen Savior, one week later, how is your heart doing in the Lord today? No one wants to go through uncertain times like these, through tumultuous times like these. But they do have a way of forcing us face-to-face with some key questions. What am I really counting on? What keeps me going? What is my hope? Am I building my life on a foundation that is solid enough that circumstances beyond my control cannot take it away? That was why I was so looking forward to celebrating Easter last week. That in His sovereignty, in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, God has placed a tangible reminder that He has not left us alone to wallow in misery. People have not gathered for 2,000 years to say, "Hmm, the stock market and my 401k is doing well. I am reassured in the Lord. People have not gathered to remember or to celebrate that the employment rate has risen and so my job is doing okay. The one fact that has kept Christians across 2,000 years in times of poverty, in times of disease, war, and in the face of death itself is that Christ has risen. Christ has risen indeed. And so... One week after we have celebrated Easter, I want us to turn to remember the message of Easter and to soak in it again. Our passage for today, as Pastor Mark read, is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 specifically. And as we've heard, the Apostle Peter was writing this first letter to, belie- to believers who were scattered throughout modern-day Turkey during a particularly tumultuous and dangerous time in the early church. As he wrote this letter, Peter had stood boldly for Christ in the time of Emperor Nero's reign. Nero was a great persecutor to Christians to the point that he would set Christians alive on fire. Within two years of writing this letter, Peter himself was killed for his faith, and he died hung upside down on a cross. But in light of all the persecution and suffering that was taking place, Peter writes to these early Christians, to you and to me throughout the ages, to communicate the rock-solid hope that we can enjoy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know that there is something far more valuable and stable and real that we can rest our hope on compared to anything that the world has to offer. And so read along with me from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected By the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In our passage today, I want us to meditate and see three results of Christ's resurrection. Three results of Christ's resurrection. You want to see and internalize these truths so that your life can be transformed just as God intended. That we can be secure and expectant in the hope of Christ's resurrection. So looking now at the first result of the resurrection. Verse 14. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you a new life of living hope. A new life of living hope. As you see in verse 14. Peter blesses and gives thanks to God the Father who has done something amazing for every single believer Today, Look at the first phrase. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Peter wants you to begin by remembering the graciousness, the mercy, the kindness of God the Father. No matter what is going on around you, you have cause for joy. You have cause for great celebration. You can have joy Even this morning. Because you know that your God. You know that your gracious and merciful king. Has promised to provide for you. You may be being attacked. You may be persecuted in this world. As these believers were. You may be lost or lonely. Or going through tremendous difficulty. But there will always be a place. Where you belong. A place where you are cared for and provided for. Because God has promised for you. That you will be provided abundantly in Christ. Secondly, look at what Peter says. What has God done? God has given us a new hope. Just listen to these words. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to this new hope. We were once hopeless, dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have hope. We don't just have a hope in the world around us, but we have this new hope. Not a generic, general, wistful, wistful sort of hope that things will maybe turn out well in the end, but it is a living hope. This life-changing, life-restoring, life-transforming, life-reforming hope. And the Apostle Peter here was writing from his own personal experience in this. See, the Apostle Peter wasn't always this great and steadfast man that we know wrote this letter. When we first see him in the Gospels, the Apostle Peter was one of the original followers of Christ. He was a strong-willed, he was an impulsive fisherman, rough type, whose mouth often got him in trouble, even with the Lord. But when Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, few people felt the death of Christ 
more agonizingly than Peter himself. You see, he had lost all the hope that he had placed in Christ. As a Jew who believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, Peter longed for the day that this long-promised Messiah from God would make all things right. He longed for the day that the Messiah would kick all these Gentile Romans out of Israel, when the Messiah would set up a godly rule under the throne of David, that righteousness would now flow throughout the land and the word of God would be obeyed. He was longing for a day when this Messiah would be worshipped by all. <clears throat> but God, in the person of Jesus Christ, was crucified by the Romans. And Peter had front row seats to this tragedy. Peter had lost all the hope he placed in Christ. And as we read in the scriptures, he just went back to being a fisherman. Even worse, Peter had lost all the hope he had placed on himself. You see, all throughout Scripture, he had boasted, I will follow you anywhere, Jesus, even to the point of death. But his courage melted away the moment the heat was on. And before the night of Good Friday was over, Peter had denied Christ not just once or twice, but three times. The last time he denied Jesus, we even read that Jesus turned and looked him in the eye. Peter understood deeply his own weakness and his own sin, and it was devastating to him. One of the last scenes we read about Peter in the Gospels is him going away into the night, weeping bitterly. He had lost all hope. But by the point Peter writes this letter, he was a different man. You see, after the resurrection, Jesus sought out Peter specifically. There was this beautiful scene by the shores of Galilee when Jesus appears to his disciple and prepares a meal for them. And around the fire, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? And three times, Peter affirms his love. And three times, Jesus gives Peter back his ministry. Feed my lambs. Feed and tend my sheep. And from that point onward, Peter understood that no situation was hopeless. If Jesus is now alive, if Jesus has really conquered death, if he can restore a coward and a deserter to ministry, then there is nothing that he can face, that we can face, that Christ cannot overcome. If Christ has power over death, then he has power over anything and everything that comes against you. And so notice here in our text this morning that Peter highlights where our hope comes from. Look again, verse 3. God has caused us to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope comes from Jesus' resurrection because His resurrection has changed everything for all of us. When the Bible uses the word hope, it does not use it in the same way we do in modern day English. 
You see, when we say, I hope the Warriors are a better team this year, or I hope I get that job offer that I had been interviewing with, what we mean is that we desire something that we are not certain we are about to get. We want it, but we don't know for sure if we will get it. And in many ways, Scripture uses the word hope in the opposite fashion. Biblical hope is a grounded, is a confident certainty that God will do exactly as He has purposed, as He has said He will. We can be fully certain that everything will come to pass exactly as God said He would. In the same way, the substance of Christian hope is far greater than we often paint it to be. Consider the world around us. Just a couple months ago, the whole world, especially the U.S., was excited, was vibrant. It was celebrating the health of the economy. Unemployment rates were almost at an all-time low. The stock market was practically at an all-time high. The housing market was doing well, and people were excited. People were poised to retire at a very comfortable place if they would. But it took less than one month for all our 401ks to crash, for historic unemployment claims, and the destruction of many futures, of many businesses, of many jobs. That is the best that the world can offer. A fragile, temporal, uncertain hope. That is not the Christian hope. Often, however, we Christians have our own distorted view of what God promises to us. The biblical hope is not that if we are good enough Christians, then God will bless us with a better marriage, with well-behaved children, with less grouchy parents and in-laws, with thriving businesses and great jobs, with all the money and the friends that we want, when we want, how we want it, all the time. We would never dare go so far as to say that we believe in a prosperity gospel, but all too often we equate the biblical hope and the biblical blessing that God promises for us with our temporal circumstances. And so, brothers and sisters of Lighthouse, how is your hope doing today? Now that we are more than a month into this pandemic lockdown, how is your heart and your soul doing in the Lord today? Are you in despair, anxious over your future in school, in your career, in your relationships? Are the circumstances around this lockdown causing you to lose faith and trust and hope in the goodness of God? In the midst of any and all circumstances, whether you're unemployed, whether you're going through financial troubles, whether you're struggling with tense relationships at home, emotional distress, loneliness, anxiety about your future, or just plain boredom 
rest in the one true Christian hope. Rest in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have of eternal glory because of his resurrection. That's why celebrating and remembering and ruminating on the truths of Easter last week matters so, so much for us. Because Jesus lives, God gives new life to dead sinners like you and me. We are born again through this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has made us alive together with Christ. And he has raised us up together with him. God has taken out dead hearts of stone and given us new living hearts of flesh. We have a new life with living hope. Being born through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us a living hope that goes beyond any and all circumstances. If Christ has conquered all the wicked plans of his enemies, if he has conquered death and sin on the cross, can we not trust him to overwhelmingly conquer in whatever situation that we find ourselves in today. Jesus gives us a supernatural and a spiritual security that cannot be destroyed because it is not rooted in us. It doesn't come from us, our performance, our behavior, our circumstances. It is rooted in a risen Christ who now reigns in glory. It rests on our union with this Christ who lives. And so when Psalm 42 tells us hope in God, it doesn't mean that we are supposed to sit and cross our fingers. It doesn't mean that God might do good to you. It means be confident that He will Be strong in God. Be courageous in God. Preach to yourselves this living hope that we have in a risen Christ. Looking back into our text in 1 Peter, you will see that Christ's resurrection and its effects goes even further. It gives us a new life of living hope. It also promises us an imperishable inheritance in heaven. An imperishable inheritance in heaven. Looking back at the text, verses 3 and 4 again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter says that we will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. We all know what an inheritance is, but we need to understand that God's perspective on our inheritance in Him is very different from ours. As our Father, 
He's actually happy to talk about it with us. He wants us to look forward and to anticipate our inheritance in Him. He doesn't want us to worry about whether or not we'll get it, about how we might lose out on it. He will not spend it before we get it. He will not disqualify us from it. He says it is already reserved in heaven for you. Imperishable means that it will never degrade. It will never decay. It will never be destroyed. It is the same idea when Jesus himself speaks in Matthew chapter 6. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Peter emphasizes that our inheritance will last forever and ever and ever. It will not fade away. And it's perfect. Unpolluted in any way. It is untainted by sin. There is nothing that will ever take away from the fullness of what God has prepared for us. Since God is not shy in telling us about how great an inheritance we have in Him, I wonder if this morning you are looking forward to it. What do you know about it? The Bible is full of passages of promise. But let me this morning just share a few aspects of it for you. Number one, our inheritance will include eternity in God's glorious presence. Scripture says, in His presence is fullness of joy. And so the God of the universe who created us to find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in Him will Himself be with us forever and ever. We will see our Maker and our Savior face to face. We will worship Him forever as we are made to do. If you read John's descriptions of heaven in the book of Revelation, one truth that dominates his descriptions is the presence of God in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. For a Jewish man like John, the temple equals the place where God dwells. And so for him to say that there is no temple was crazy, was unthinkable. Because if there is no temple, where is God? But what John is really saying is that the whole city is the temple. All of heaven is a temple. God's dwelling place is no longer just a place in the city, but everything about the city is in the presence of God himself. There is no longer even any need for a lamp or the sun or the moon because forever and ever we will live under the illumination of the glory of God. To go even further, John tells us that we will see his face. The whole Bible has stressed that no one can see God's face and live. But here, in this place that we call heaven, we will see his face and worship him forever and ever. Another truth about heaven is that it is a perfect place. 
Each of, each of us lives with a certain amount of fear that anything could happen to us at any moment. And again, just a month or so ago, we could not have imagined the devastation and the disruption that this one virus has caused the whole world. But John says of heaven that God himself will be among them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There is no sin. There is no crime. There is no sickness. There is no disease. Not a single form of evil to disrupt our fellowship with God. On a more personal note, when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on your behalf and to be raised back to life, God did so in order to redeem you from sin. To pay the price for your soul. Again, we were all once slaves to sin. Unable to do anything to free ourselves. But now we've been freed. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. And even better, when you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are now a part of God's family. You are a part of the family of the God of the universe. You now belong to Him. You get to call Christ your Father. You get to call Jesus your brother. You get to enjoy all the benefits that come with being a part of the family of the Creator of the universe. Your inheritance as a child of God is that one day you will be in God's presence without sin. You will rejoice and worship with all the other saints from all across the world, from all the ages. It is the culmination of your adoption into his family and your new life in the age to come will be one of glory when you will be there in the presence of God himself, in the presence of all the other saints, your fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. In one sense, it is the exact opposite of what we are now experiencing, separated in our own remote locations. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. And even with all these descriptions, in this life, it is hard for us to fully grasp the inheritance, the fullness of it that we have from God. Think with me for a moment about the royalty of England, of young Prince George of England. Now he is only six years old, but he is third in line for the throne. Do you think that in his young age he can fully grasp what he will inherit because he is in line for the throne of England? Even though Great Britain is obviously no longer a true monarchy, imagine the enormous weight of the inheritance that he will one day receive. The titles the land, the wealth, the prestige, and of course, the responsibilities. He really has no idea what he will one day become and what will one day become his. In the same way, we often live here on earth without understanding the inheritance that is promised to us. 
We throw tantrums. We are distressed and distracted by the menial things of earth because we do not fully anticipate, we do not fully meditate on and rest our hope in the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. C.S. Lewis famously said, we are content with playing with the mud because we have no idea what is offered by a holiday at sea. But the scriptures tell us that the resurrection of Christ is a type of first fruits. It is a forerunner, it is a foretelling for those who would come after him. And the same God who raised Christ from the dead promises that he will be for you. That he tells us to look at the example of Christ and to follow in his faithfulness. That for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of God. And so the author of Hebrews encourages us to do the same. To run with endurance, to keep our eyes on Jesus, our imperishable inheritance in heaven. We've seen that Christ's resurrection grants us a new life with a living hope. And it allows us to anticipate this imperishable inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. A third result of the resurrection we see here in our passage today is that we have a secured Salvation by faith. A secured salvation by faith. Looking back at the text, let me read the entirety of it again, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only does God give us a new life, a new hope, and a heaven that we can look forward to. He promises that He will protect and secure us personally all the way to the very end. A third result of Christ's resurrection is this secure salvation that is ready to be revealed. In verse 5, He points to a salvation that will be revealed in the last time. And even though... We get to enjoy many benefits here. Our salvation is not even complete. There is so much more that we can look forward to at the end. At the end of our lives. In heaven. Looking back at the text. In those days. Probably one of the most pressing questions in the minds of these brothers and sisters in Asia Minor that Peter was writing to. Was probably. Is my faith sufficient? Will my faith carry me all the way to the end? When I face suffering and persecution, will I truly stand firm under pressure? What if I lose my salvation? 
Have you ever wondered and worried about that? In the midst of such distressing times, in the midst when our faith and our trust in God can be shaken, Peter says that not only are you already on this reservation list for heaven, you are being guarded by the power of God to make it all the way to the end. He says, it is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. Not only is the treasure protected, but you are also protected. This ought to be the most reassuring truth for us to bank our hope on. In my 10-ish years as a believer, there were many times when I didn't know if my fate will make it to the end. If my fate would stand the test of time. There are times when I had to battle doubt, seasons of discouragement, and circumstances that produced in me a lot of anxiety and a lot of distress. But through all those times, Scripture tells me that I had been guarded by the power of God to preserve me. And that's God's promise to you this morning. No matter what your circumstances are, you are being protected by the power of God, the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God, the almighty power of God himself. God is keeping you. God is guarding you. God will protect you to the point that you will receive the salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this whole incredible chapter on the security and the hope that we can trust in God for. Verses 30 to 31, he writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things in him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. And Romans 8 goes on to say that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Philippians chapter 1 promises that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jude 24 says that he will keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, The surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. This is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand of the heavenly places. Don't miss that line. 
That the power of God that raised Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago, proclaiming victory over sin, securing hope of new life, promising glory for His redeemed and adopted children, that is the same power of God towards you who believe. You are supplied, protected, guarded, secured in that same amazing power. That is why a resurrection that happened 2,000 some years ago reaches us today. And it begets hope in our hearts. It certifies to me that because Jesus bore my sins on a cross, that God is for me, that God is not against me. And it declares that just Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me is alive and present and caring at every moment of my life. Christ's resurrection gives us a new life of living hope. It promises us an imperishable inheritance in heaven. He will protect and secure us personally to the very end. Given that the resurrection is true, God is strong enough to carry you through any circumstance in your life. Friends, too much of our mind these days have been preoccupied with the coronavirus and its effects. I don't want to minimize the stress and difficulty that it's brought into many of our lives. But it is easy to be sinfully consumed by your problems, by issues at work, concerns in your marriage, troubles with your children, financial worries. God's commands to us are clear and still true. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. There are no caveats for pandemics included. But thankfully, God did not leave us in the cold with just a mere command to not fear, to not be anxious. He lovingly reminds you that you may have forgotten that you have this great, vibrant, living, powerful hope in Christ. Today is a day for you to refocus on what is true and what is important. Put your faith, put your trust in Christ. He died for you. He was raised up for you. And He will one day come back for you. And in the meantime, we wait. And in the midst of the devastating effects of sin and the coronavirus in our lives, we say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. We bear one another's burdens as the body of Christ, and we look forward to how we can glorify Him together with our hope in Him. Pray with me. Our Father God, we are so grateful for the tangible reminder this last week that in the midst of sin and worry and anxiety and suffering that you have not left us alone. That you have not only promised a Messiah, promised that hope is coming, but that you sent Jesus Christ in the flesh and we beheld His glory 
full of grace and truth, even to the point of a death on a cross. And so as we witness and remember His resurrection, we put our hope in Him. Not in anything in this world, not in our jobs, not in our relationships, not even in our friends and family, but only in You. We trust that whatever happens, that You are doing so for our good, for Your glory. And so we put our hope in You. We glorify You through our faith and our trust. We thank You for the example of Jesus Christ, who endured the cross, looking for the joy that was set before Him. We long to follow in His footsteps and be faithful. We pray in His name. Amen.